0: Hey there Emerald Podcast listeners, I'm Francisca Monahan, the senior podcast editor at The Daily Emerald. Today's episode is a part of our latest E1 project. For those of you who don't know, E1 is the Emerald's immersive web journalism series. E1 stories incorporate aspects of video, photo, text, and most importantly, audio, all bundled up in the beautiful website designed for your consumption. Our project this term was to uncover an area of research that is particularly unique to the University of Oregon the inner workings of the world and society of leafcutter ants. I hope you enjoy. In the basement of the Volcanology Building at the University of Oregon, fans whirl, wires buzz, and various electronic devices hum from every corner. But the focus of the room is around a collection of glass terrariums interconnected by a mess of clear plastic tubing. Several lab assistants move busily between the tanks, full of what appear to be giant, yellowish sponges. The containers are home to thousands upon thousands of little brown leafcutter ants, a South American species known as cephalotes. They're the research subjects of Dr. Robert Schofield, an assistant professor at the University of Oregon. His research has to do with examining the sharpness of ants' mandibles and how it defines their roles within ant society as well as how that changes as the ants age and their mandibles grow dull. His findings suggest that ants may use some sort of decision-making process to determine their value to their colony. For instance, when ants detect a threat, some run away and some stay to fight. Schofield found that the ones that stay are typically older ants, whose mandibles are worn and less useful for leaf cutting, while the younger, sharp-mandibled ants run away from the danger. But I went to Dr. Schofield's lab to learn more about what it takes to care for thousands of ants on a day-to-day basis. On the dreary Thursday afternoon when I visited the ant lab, Schofield's assistants were prepping the ants for their feeding.
1: So we have here colonies. Right now, what he is doing is he's collecting the leaves that were not eaten. We feed them every you know day, and we collect the leaves that they don't eat in the day. And he's got a painstakingly kick out all the little ants and put
0: them back. That's Daniel Silver. He began working in Dr. Schofield's lab after a teacher suggested it as an opportunity to gain research experience. Two years later, Daniel is still taking care of the little buggers, pun intended. Daniel and the other assistants give the ants blackberry leaves, which are plentiful in the Eugene area and available all year round. They refer to the activity as feeding. But in reality, it isn't that at all. The spongy mass in the tanks I mentioned earlier is actually a fungus, which the ants grow and eat, kind of like a whole society of minuscule farmers. The leaves that the ants cut up and bring back to the hive are actually meant to help fuel the fungus.
1: All these ants, their whole thing is converting this leaf material into a substrate that fungus can grow on, and they eat the fungus itself. So they're very concerned with the output-to-production ratio. How much mass are they getting out of how much energy they put in? So when we
0: Unfortunately, say- it's a fragile system, and when the ants aren't flourishing, it can be hard to figure out what's wrong. Daniel showed me a colony that seemed to be lagging behind the others for some reason.
1: You'll notice kind of almost a lushness to the fungus. You know, you got that humid layer, you've got a lot of fungus and growth. Here, you know, it looks almost dried out. The fungus isn't very pretty looking. The leaves, they're just piling up on top. They haven't uh, processed those leaves. And so this one's having a little bit of trouble. It actually used to fill up all the way to the top. It has gone down significantly.
0: One method they use to keep the colonies healthy is keeping them separate. This way, if an infection does get into the lab and spreads among one colony, the other stays safe. The colonies also don't play nice with each other
1: yeah an ant breaks out and you don't remember which colony it came from Uh, you have a one in three shot of getting it right and uh you know it's uh, not over. it's not uh nice when you get it wrong but um
0: do you just watch them like tear the other ant apart basically if you put it in
1: there yeah it's pretty quick uh you really don't get much of a chance to intervene
0: There are several projects going on in the lab currently, one of which is a time-lapse video of colony growth. They're also tracking the ants' behavior and decision-making tendencies in contexts outside of colony defense.
1: And so the other project, there are two projects, the time-lapse video, and then we have this tube network. This is path length selection, so the idea is, can they tell the difference between a shorter path or a longer path, and will they prefer one or the other? And it involves sitting here, and about I think it's about 5-minute stretches or 10-minute stretches a piece. You count how many ants come through the tubes, and then you have to come back a couple hours later and do it again.
0: The tubes lie in a kind of chaotic jumble on the table. They can't be bent too sharply because the ants can actually chew through them and escape. Daniel pointed out a section of the tube where the ants had started expanding the nest.
1: They'll do annoying things, like you'll notice they're building nest here, which we don't want them to do. So at some point, I will probably open up this part here and take one of these fans. And you take that and you insert it into the tube. And what that does is it provides a current of wind. And what that means for them is that defines the outside world to them. And so they will not build in a place that has open flowing air.
0: Unfortunately, the colonies are limited by lab life. Daniel told me that a lot of the time in research, things either have to be done cheaply or for free. Because of this, they can only add on to the colonies when resources and space permit.
1: So they're, you know, established. Uh, They're not very big, actually. In the wild, these would be far bigger. Uh, Multiple chambers and a lot bigger. yeah, that's just part of the thing that happens with these ants in the lab. They don't usually get that big, and of course, space is a requirement. You know, to grow anymore, we have to add things. This is a tank that I've been preparing to add to this col the photo colony. So you know, we have to add the space for them, which limits them, and we control their food, and we don't up it until we have a need to up it. Like you know, they're eating all of their food. So uh, it's another potential limiting factor, but we try not to limit them as much as we can.
0: Daniel says he wasn't particularly interested in the ants when he came to the lab. He says at first it was just an interesting opportunity to do some research. But he admits he finds himself carrying spiders outside a lot more often, having found a surprising amount of humanity packed within those tiny exoskeletons.
1: I, didn't, I wouldn't say I had much of a interest in the ants before I got here. I was really more interested in well, the opportunity to actually work in research and see what a lab was like and uh, but once I got here they definitely grew on me. They'll get a little crazy. They're just they're kind of funny to watch you know I've watched them you know they'll be hanging on to a leaf trying to cut it up and they're on the leaf trying to cut it and the leaf is hanging over the side with another ant holding it like scaffolding and they're just... It's almost kind of comical to watch sometimes. They're really entertaining. They kind of have a little bit of character. They're pretty sweet, too.
0: This has been the Emerald Podcast Network special E1 episode. It was produced and edited by myself, Francisca Monaghan. You can view the Emerald's latest E1 project in its entirety at dailyemerald.com. If you enjoyed what you heard here, don't forget to subscribe to Emerald Media on iTunes to automatically download new episodes every week. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.